Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. Hey, welcome everybody. Glad to have you back again. Uh, this episode is a recording of the monthly Buying Without Banks meeting that I run here in Dayton, Ohio. And in this meeting, we have uh, Chris Mayfield teaching on the specific steps that are involved in the process for wholesaling a real estate deal. So definitely check it out. He goes through exactly how to find the deal, negotiate the deal, and then sell the deal. If you have any questions after this video or this episode, reach out to me. I'm glad to help. Chad at TrueWealthInvestors.com. Okay. So I guess the last two introductions here, uh, myself, as I said, I'm a GD RIA member. I'm in the Dayton, Ohio area, and I am primarily a buy and hold investor. Uh, I got my start in 2013 um, when I came back from Kenya where we were living overseas and had no job and no money and um, decided to start doing bird deals to support my family. Um, and so I've been a full-time investor ever since and uh, have been leading this group for a little bit over a year because my specialty is uh, raising private money and seller financing since I really wasn't bankable um, when I got my start. And uh, so bought my first 55 doors or so without any bank loans. So that's my story. I love, I was a high school English teacher before Kenya. And so I love this format, getting to share uh, what I know and help people uh, through education. I also run a, a weekly mastermind where we help people get their businesses to the next level. And I love that format too. So I'm really glad everybody's here. And we have, as a guest speaker today, Chris Mayfield. Now, me being more on the uh, good talking and teaching side and less on the high tech side, I sent him a link and it shows my name, but his name is Chris Mayfield. Um, <clears throat> and he is uh, one of the fellow leaders with me in the weekly mastermind that we run. And I met Chris, uh, that was about a year and a half ago at a leadership retreat um, in Oklahoma. And we really hit it off. Um, we both have a ministry background. We both really um, love teaching, coaching, encouraging other people. And so uh, we really had a connection and a similar perspective. Um, Chris's background, which I'm sure he will share, um, but just the quick overview, um, he left ministry and started wholesaling, similar to me, to support his family and has gone on to, he has a large scale wholesaling business where he wholesales in at least three states. He's probably gonna tell me more. Well, four states, Washington, Arizona, Tennessee, Texas. All right. And uh, has buy and hold rentals as well in multiple states and uh, is working on his first syndication deal. And so he's got a lot of things going on. 
and a lot of great information to share. And I really wanted to have, to have him on so that he could share his expertise on the wholesaling uh, process specifically. So, so welcome, Chris. Glad to have you here. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here. So, uh, well, um, um, are you ready for me to to start or just share a little bit about where I'm from or what I'm doing? I'm going to hand the floor to you. So, if you okay. want to do it. Uh, Where are you watching before the slides? Hey, let's do that. If you're ready to share slides, I'll make you the host so that you can I, I can, share I can share. Yeah, I can share. Uh, it says I can share a screen now. So does that mean I can? Right. All right. Let's see. Host. Zoom. It says I'm disabled. So you're going to have to give it to me. All right. Enable him. <laughs> While he's doing that, uh, Chris Mayfield. Um, my, uh, I'm married, uh, my beautiful wife, Sharon, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share this here real quick because you'd much rather, um, oh, hey, I'm, I'm in the wrong spot there. So yeah, there we go. Um, there's me on the left, the big ugly guy, um, the beautiful pictures on my right, maybe you're, maybe you're right too. That's my wife, Sharmy, um, my beautiful bride. We've been married 26 and a half years. Um, I know she only looks like she's like 18, but she's a little bit older than that. Uh, five <laughs> kids ranging from uh, 12 to 23. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and get started if it's okay, Chad. Uh, yeah. I told a little bit, I, I came out of ministry. I didn't leave the ministry for many accusations. I wasn't fired from any churches. Um, I'm just very entrepreneurial and from, and I didn't grow up in the church. Um, so I started ministries at every church that I would go to, generally student ministries. And then when I was in Houston, Texas, after a launching something uh, with student ministries and building buildings, we started praying, uh, my wife and I, about doing that for all ages. And so we're never one to shy away from big things. Uh, uncomfortable things because we think that growth comes from being uncomfortable. So we actually went to Seattle, Washington, uh, a place that neither of us knew anyone, but we knew it was a place that there weren't uh, a lot of churches. And through that process of church planting and meeting another church planter in Denver, um, that's when I began to learn a little bit about real estate. I was an entrepreneur and I would start businesses on the side while I was serving in a church but I was always intrigued by real estate. And through that process of meeting that uh, gentleman, uh, Brad Hovis, who's in Denver, Colorado, I began to learn and he kind of put me on the journey first of wholesaling. And I wanna say to all you, uh, whatever you wanna call it, newbies, rookies, um, the reason why I started there was one, I didn't have capital. Um, two, I didn't know a lot about real estate. And three, um, I was pretty ignorant for the whole process of what it would take. Um, and so Brad just kind of encouraged me that through the process of wholesaling, you have to think like an investor, but you also have to think like a seller, right? And so between those two, you get the whole gamut of everything. Not, not only that, but even the GC or the cost of what it's gonna take to renovate properties. So for me, wholesaling wasn't just 
the hot button because it really wasn't that hot of a button six years ago. I mean, it was, but it wasn't, but it was an opportunity for education. And the bigger picture for me, my biggest why is my, my generational wealth, um, what I'm wanting to leave my family and wanting them to understand what they can do, whether it be real estate or not. And two, I do love ministry, um, but I wanted to create a way where I could create finances so that I could finance ministry. And if you are around ministry very often, especially in the church planting world, whether you go uh, across the sea or do it here in the U.S., you got to raise money. And I found out that I was good at that. And so I wanted to figure out ways to, to raise money, but do it as a living. And so for me, going from ministry to real estate wasn't much of a transition because it's still a people business. So that's kind of how I ended up in real estate. I, I, I would agree with Chad. If you have any questions, man, write them down or, or type them to the side. And when we get to the end here in just a few minutes, I'm, I'm more than happy to stay and answer questions. Chad's right. I get... I get amped up. I get excited. I start getting frothing at the mouth um, because I do believe uh, real estate is a beautiful thing. It's a people thing. I know there's the numbers side, but ultimately to me, a huge part of real estate is, is, uh, is relationships. So with that in mind and transitioning to uh, kind of what we're talking about here and I'm trying to see here why it's not moving. There we go. So what we're talking about tonight is wholesaling real estate, okay? Um, and really, kind of in the parentheses there I have is it's flipping paper, okay? And what you need to be careful of in this, in regards to real estate is that you're not actually flipping property, which is why we're getting into the legalities and some of the laws that are going on in certain states, is because people are not being ethical, uh, people are not practicing the right type of, uh, of way of doing this. So you have to remember, wholesaling real estate is really flipping paper, not the property. Okay, And in regards to that, you can actually work uh, very well with real estate agents in wholesaling property if you do it the right way. So it doesn't have to be a competition. It doesn't have to be a negative experience. But I would encourage all investors, whether you're a Chad, a, a BRRR, buy and hold, or a fix and flip, it's always good to have the tool in your tool belt of wholesaling, because it might be that you don't want to flip that property. It might be a property that it's not your favorite part of the city, or it's not your part of the country. So instead of keeping it, you can flip that paper and give that opportunity to another investor. So wholesaling real estate, number one, this is the generalities of it. And like I said, man, if anybody wants to ask questions to get more drilled down in specifics, I'm more than happy. Also, what I'm talking about tonight can be done in your backyard or it can be done in another state. My actual first deal was a $27,500 a dollar assignment fee in Seattle, Washington, where I had already left, but had a church there, had friends there, and had encouraged them that if they needed anybody, uh, if anybody needed to sell a property, I was available to buy that property or to negotiate terms on that property. And that's exactly what happened. A friend of mine was helping a friend they needed to sell. I was able to serve the seller. And then the person that bought the property was actually a church member 
from my church. And he and his dad then uh, fixed and flipped that property. So wholesaling real estate and flipping paper is one, figuring out a way to find a motivated seller. Somebody that's looking to sell their property and generally there's a situation where they need help. They are motivated to sell. They're not just kicking the tires, although you'll come across uh, thousands of those people, you're looking for somebody with huge motivation. They need to sell a property and they probably need to sell it in the next 30 to 90 days. From there, you're gonna negotiate terms. In regards to that, boy, I, Chad could probably do um, more education on this, but what I have found in not understanding real estate, I thought there was only one way to do it. But once I got involved in wholesaling and started understanding creative finance, which really just means what does the seller need to do? Can I meet that? Can we negotiate that to where both of us are happy? And then I can either take down or purchase that property, or I can assign that property. So I'm going to find a motivated seller. Then I'm going to negotiate terms. From there, I'm going to assign that purchase and sale agreement to an investor. And this one I think is real important. And I think this is one of the reasons why we have problems around the country in wholesaling is people are looking to take advantage of people. And that's not what I'm looking to do. I'm looking to listen to a seller and find out if I can help them. And if I can help them and I can serve them well, there's probably an opportunity for me. If not, I generally give them counsel and point them in two or three other directions that they might want to go and sell in their property. But either way, I come from a standpoint because of my background that I'm looking to help somebody not take advantage. And I think that's really the line where wholesaling has gotten out of whack is people are just looking for a deal and they're looking to take advantage so they can make a quick buck. And what they don't realize is that doesn't just ruin their name it ruins the industry's name. That's why people don't like the word investor or wholesalers, because there are those out there that are trying to take advantage of people. So for me, I want to serve them well, which means I don't necessarily always get the deal. And then from there, you get paid. So that's ultimately what wholesaling is, is just flipping paper. Okay. So the first thing that you're going to want to do when you're, um, getting involved in any kind of real estate is you got to have some kind of a marketing, right? Someone needs to know that you're looking to buy properties. So for me, that's my mantra. I always be shouting to everybody in my life, hey, I'm looking to help. I'm looking to buy a property. So I tell everybody, I mean, I tell my wife and she's married to me and she's a real estate agent, but I'm always reminding her, hey, babe, I'm still looking for properties, right? And we're in the same house. Uh, so the first thing you want to do is, if you're going to get involved in wholesaling, uh, your circle of influence, right? The first place you can go is your circle of influence. Before you, before you spend a dime, I know some of you guys are, uh, someone said they're a nursing student. I heard a lot of, I'm new to real estate. Well, if you don't want to waste a lot of money, but you still want to invest time into this, look at your influence and realize every person you talk to probably has at least 10 other people that they come in contact with daily or weekly. So the first thing that I did was I just started shouting to everybody. 
because I had served in churches in Oklahoma, Texas, Georgia, and Seattle, we started going back to all of those people and sharing that we were getting involved in real estate and that we were looking for properties. And this is generally what I say. I'm looking for properties that need a little bit of love. They need a little attention to them. And if somebody's in a situation and they need to sell a property like that, I'd be a great person for them to talk to. So my mailman knows it. Uh, every uh, person that comes to my house to work on my house, I had a cool decking done in my backyard this past week. So my cool decking guy, Mario, now knows that every neighborhood he goes into, the worst house in the neighborhood, the house that looks like it needs the most work, I need him to write that address down and text it to me. And then if I get that deal, I'm going to pay him a finder's fee. So now he's out there looking while he's doing his job, right? And that's free marketing. But if, if you're ready to spend some money, there are some opportunities to do that. Remember, what you're trying to do is you're trying to find a motivated seller. And very rarely are you just going to walk down the street and, and someone walk up and say, hey, I need to sell my house. So you're kind of fishing. You're kind of looking for ways to get into streams, to find people that have situations that you can help. Okay, so the first thing that I did after making sure all of my relationships were saturated, and by the way, I've been doing this six years, I still go back to all of my personal relationships, everyone that comes to my house, everyone that I come in contact with, when I go to a restaurant, and I have a server who's really good at talking, and you can tell they're a relational person, first I ask them if they're happy with their job, because I might want to hire them, and two, I tell them what, they're, what I'm doing so it could give them an opportunity to make some money on the side and they don't have to leave their job. Remember, they, all they have to do is, my brother-in-law, my, my brother is 20 years younger than me in Texas. He has a successful Christmas light business, makes about $150,000 over two months. Guess what? He's on people's roofs installing Christmas lights. He's driving through neighborhoods, right? He's already paying for the gas. He knows if he sees a house that needs work, take a picture, text me the address, shouldn't take you more than 20 seconds. I'll do the rest of the work and I'll explain what I do. The next thing that I started doing six years ago is we started taking some postcards and letters and we started putting them in the mail. My kids got involved. We would type out a letter, we would hand sign it, we would hand address it and we would send those out. How did I go about finding those? Just driving neighborhoods going on bike rides, whatever it takes. Anytime you go through a neighborhood, you're always going to see a house where the grass is growing up or the roof isn't doing well or it hasn't been painted in a while. Some type of distress. All we do is take a picture of the house. We write down the address. And when we come back, we'll go through a process of getting the owner's information so I can figure out a way to get in contact with them. So there's the whole mail gamut. You can do anything and you can be as creative as you want, okay? The next one is cold calling. Cold calling is a process that we still use today. Uh, we will look like we just started a new campaign north of Dallas. We have two buyers that are looking for land. So what we did is we pulled a list uh, and I'll explain that again towards the end, Chad. So don't, don't worry, I know I'm talking about a lot of different things and I wanna confuse anybody but we'll pull a list of landowners. And in this case, we were looking for 12 acres or more because they can get a few uh, things for tax breaks uh, for farming. 
And then we go pull all of the people in four different counties that own 12 acres or more. We take those lists and we skip trace them. And skip trace is just going to a service like skip force. Um, or, or, and that's who I'm using right now as far as doing my skip tracing. I send them the Excel files. Within 24 hours, they send those back with the addresses and phone numbers. We upload those into a phone call system that we call call tools. And we have uh, two people that call these owners to see if they might be interested in receiving an offer on the property that they own. SMS text blast is really the same thing except making a call, I'm texting. I still do this today. I will drive by a property and I will say, that's a distressed property. I'll write it down, I'll come home, I'll skip trace that one address, it's just me. Right, and I'll get that address and I'll reach out with a text, a personal text, not a generic text. Hey, this is Chris. I was just driving through your neighborhood. I saw this property. Just wanted to find out if you might be interested in taking an offer. If so, I'd love to hop on a phone call and chat with you. Or if you want, I don't mind driving by and having a face-to-face -face conversation because I understand some people still like to do that. And then the last one here is PPC for us, and that's pay-per-click. Uh, we started doing Google ads about six months ago. It's a great opportunity if you have the funds to do it, and you can start with as little as, I think we started at $50 a day. Works out to about $1,500 a month. These are great leads because these are people that are actually coming to you through Google ads. They went to your website. They're pursuing you saying, yes, I would like to sell my property. Can you call me? Okay, so I'm going to stop right there in the generic of the ways that you can market. And then hopefully people will ask questions and break down a little bit of that and, and each one and what we do. Because I, I, I'm an open book. I'll tell you everything. I learned very uh, early that there's nothing new under the sun. So whatever I've learned in my journey, I want to turn around and give it back to somebody else. So I'm not one of these guys, even though I do coach, I coach, but in my coaching, I don't hold back. I, I know that you're going to do the same thing that I'm going to do. Chad, were you about to say something? I was just going to um, ask you, I know we talked about it a while back, but do, would you prefer questions to come as you're presenting or those to be saved for the end? I say the end and let me get through this because that I, I believe gives me more time to answer questions. Awesome. I, agree. I want to answer all of them. So, yeah, so definitely you can put your question in, in the chat or yes. just write it down on your paper or whatever uh, you have so that you remember it and Chris will get to them at the end. So Absolutely. Awesome. But I would say this in, in this area for everybody. Uh, what I learned, the first RIA I went to was actually in Seattle, and I had done two deals. Well, actually, it was the second RIA. Brad had taken me one here to Phoenix, but I had done two deals, one in Seattle, one in Phoenix, and I was flying up there. My old supervisor in church planning had gotten involved with me, and we went to a RIA. There was about 400 people there asking questions, and they took a break. And in that break, they told us to go out and meet people. And when Gary came back, we were talking. I said, what was unique about that? He said, it's crazy. I've done one deal. You've done two deals, but everybody's talking to us like we're the experts in the room. And what I started learning on my journey was that, that tons of people were educating themselves, but very few were taking action. And so 
I know you don't know me, but if I could encourage you uh, tonight, if I don't ever get to speak here again or ever see you, take massive, imperfect action. Massive, imperfect action. No, you don't know everything. But you know how I got educated? By doing deals. Yes, I had friends that I could turn to if I had a question. It sounds like uh, this uh, greater Dayton Rhea, just listening to some of you guys, really have enjoyed this. Man, there are plenty of people that have answers. Ask your questions. But eventually, you got to take a first step. Eventually, you got to build your own education. And my first deal scared me to death. But I learned transactional funding in my first deal. I had no clue what it was. Um, which, and, and what I learned is that there are people out there that will give you money to close on a property for less than 15 minutes so that you can turn around and close on the property again. People will fund you to do that. And in the end, without being able, I didn't know if I was going to be able to assign the property. So I was like, this is too good of a deal, then I've got to buy it. Well, I'm a former pastor. I don't have any money. So someone said, well, you should check out transactional funding. I got on Google. Then I found a transactional funding company in New Jersey. And they said, heck, yeah, we'll buy that for you for 15 minutes so you can turn around and sell it. We'll charge you like 1300 bucks. So my, my, my point in all that is, is it can be scary. But I think you just got to go out there and, and get yourself a dirty and learn the process, right? And have that never give up. I'm always going to find a way to get this deal done. Okay, so please remember, take massive, imperfect action. To this day, I'll be in real estate deals and something comes up that I have no clue. That doesn't cause panic. It just says, okay, I've got another mountain to get over. I've got another opportunity. I don't even like to call it problem. I call them opportunities. I've got another opportunity to figure out so I can get this deal across the finish line. Okay, all right, let's move on. So what happens when you do a marketing campaign and someone raises their hand or hits a help button or calls you or texts you back and says, you know what? Yeah, I do want to sell my property. Okay, so, so what do I do when I get a motivated seller? Well, number one, when you get into a conversation, whether it be face-to-face -face or for us, most of the time, 97% of the time, I'm on the phone or in a text conversation with the person who's looking to sell the property. So number one, commit to listen first. Do not get on that phone and start running at the mouth about how you can buy their house and you could take, you don't even know them yet, right? So number one, commit to listen. Make this a relational transaction. Not a, you're going to tell them what they need to do, because that will be a guaranteed no deal for you. My cold callers and my acquisitions know that they're going to build rapport first. They're going to get on the phone and they're going to make a connection with this person before they ever talk about the property. And what is the seller going to do? They're going to want to talk about the property. So our acquisitions have to say, some type of relational question. Hey, uh, yeah, I'm definitely, so they say, hey, you want to buy my property? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely interested. That's what we do. 
let me ask you, are you from Memphis? Like if we're in Memphis, are you from Memphis? No, uh, I used to live there. I don't live there now. That's actually why I want to sell the property. I'm tired of being a landlord. I don't trust the management companies. I just want to sell. Oh, yeah. But what is it you love about Memphis that caused you to want to live there? Right. And they might get irritated. You don't know which personality you're dealing with. But my guys know that we need to build rapport. And why is that? Because most people are going to do business with somebody that they like. And this is an, a lost art form with all the education out there in wholesaling because people are just looking to hurry up and get a deal. And remember, this is a relational transaction, regardless of what type of real estate that you do. Once I know that I've made that connection, which usually happens in the first one or two minutes on the phone call, and how do you know if you build a rapport? I get a chuckle. I made a joke. We're from the same hometown. There's something where we connected. Then we know we can begin the process of understanding what is their motivation. And that's the, the third one I have here, find motivation. Why are they looking to sell the property? Okay. Why are they looking to sell the property? Is there a distressed situation? Has there been a death in the family? Uh, did they lose their job and they're so far behind on their, their payments that they just could be foreclosed on? What is it that's pressing on them? And I got to encourage you here, and being a good transactional court, I mean, a relational transaction type person, you're going to have to push into this. You're going to have to ask questions. And, and I'll give you an example. They start talking about the property. Well, it sounds like a really good property. Why do you think you'd be looking to sell this? This sounds like something you might want to keep. They may or may not answer it. Then when you begin to get through, in my script, down to the roof, to the basement, going through the process of the condition of the property, again, you might begin to hear motivation. So commit to listen, right? Ask really good questions. So they're talking, you're listening. Build rapport, right? And, and real quick, Chad, I want to do that. Uh, I'll define the motivation and you're looking to help. Imagine this. If you're in a difficult situation, right, and you're at the table and you're trying to negotiate with somebody to do this transaction, what you're trying to do mentally is get them to see that you're going to leave your seat and come on their side of the table to help them figure out this situation of how they can sell this property. And when you do that, when you leave your chair and go to their side of the table, now they feel like they have a friend. Now they feel like they have a support. Now they feel like we're working together to get this situation figured out. And when that happens, more times than not, we know we're going to get that opportunity. We're going to get that deal. Okay? So let's say that you have done all of that well. The motivation is good. The numbers look good in, in that where you want to be to buy that property that's when you begin to negotiate terms. And just so you guys understand in wholesaling, I can wholesale, I can assign any type of deal that I negotiate. So let's say it's a subject to, let's say that I'm going to buy the house subject to their current, subject to just means I'm buying it based on their current loan terms. I'm going to buy it subject to their current financing. I can negotiate that. I can sign that agreement and I can still assign that to someone like Chad. Okay. So it doesn't matter 
however creative you get. Sometimes uh, I got a deal uh, last year. We kept this property. It was $175,000 to $180,000 property in Arlington, Texas, Fort Worth, Dallas area. Uh, the seller wanted 100. We wanted 80. We agreed on 90. But he knew he had inherited this property from an uncle. He knew that the house needed a ton of work. And we told him it was going to take six months. He was willing to give us no money down. And we would buy the property for 90000 And because we did such a good job negotiating that, and, and we would give him 8% interest to allow us to buy the property with no money down so that we could save our money to rehabilitate the property. He came back later with his wife and said, uh, white collar non-investor, and said, hey, we've been looking to invest in real estate. Could we give you the money to rehabilitate this house? He was literally willing to give me money to rehab the house that he answered a phone call on because he wanted to sell the property. Well, we said, because we had never done work, we said, why don't you give us half of the money? So he gave us $20,000 of the $40,000 that we knew it was gonna take to rehabilitate. And we gave him 8%. And over a six month process, he made money off of us buying the house and he made money off of us investing. Now remember, I could have negotiated that entire thing and said, I don't have money to buy that property. And I could have called Chad and said, hey, I got a really good deal for you. Would you like to buy an $180,000 house for $90,000 with no money down? And they'll give you $20,000 towards the rehab. Chad would have said, sign me up now. I'm in. <laughs> and I would have said, okay, I'm going to assign that property to you for $15,000. And Chad would have signed an assignment agreement. And I would have made 15000 to hand that deal over to him. So I've negotiated the terms, right? Once you've negotiated the terms, you're going to send a purchase and sale agreement to the seller. And, and you can find those anywhere. I, I just tell you, make sure that you consult in your area uh, of Ohio. Make sure, you know, and what I did, because I didn't have any money to reach out to a lawyer, I reached out to a title company. They have a lawyer on staff. And I said, here is the purchase and sale agreement that I would like to use on this transaction. Is this legal in the state of Texas, Tennessee, Washington, Oklahoma? They'll let you know. Nope, we will not use that. Okay, tell me what I need to do because I want to always be on the up and up. I want to be legal. I want to be moral. I want to be ethical. What is it that's missing? What is it that it needs? Okay, and then if you do have the money, reach out to a real estate attorney. Have them look at it. Okay, once you send that purchase and sell agreement to the seller, you've both signed it, correct? Now, uh, I'm going to move this over here. So here's the process, and then we'll be done, Chad. Let's say the seller miraculously, as soon as you sent it to him the first time, signs it. Now, you are under contract to buy that property. So here's what you're going to do. The first thing you're going to do for us, now this is different if you're local as opposed to virtual on getting pictures and video of property. If you're local, you're going to drive over and you're going to meet the owner. You're going to walk through that house. You're going to take pictures of that house. And I'm going to tell you the right way to do it. You're going to go into each room. You're going to stand in the corner. You're going to shoot a shot. Then you're going to take one shot of the ceiling, one shot of the floor. That is six pictures. Then you're going to go through every room of the house and do that. Then you're going to take four shots on the outside of the property. And then you're going to start over and do a video. Why? Because investors 
who are looking at this property can't always see a weak floor in a picture, but they can in a video. This became very important back during massive COVID lockdown when investors were buying properties without walking through them, right? You had to do a good job. We even got so as creative that we started having the seller or the tenant take the pictures due to COVID. And we would walk them through the process of the pictures that we needed to take. Once that's done, you're going to open escrow. You're going to call a title company and you're going to say, hey, I'm under contract to buy this property. You're going to email that purchase and sale agreement over to the title company. They're going to open escrow and begin the process of searching title and making sure everything's legit. In the meantime, while they're doing that, you're going to get the word out about that agreement and the property. You know three or four investors, you're going to text them. You want to make it as personal as possible. Hey, Chad, I got a property over at 123 Main Street. I'm looking to sell that property, including the assignment fee for $50,000. Is this something you're interested in? Chad's going to look up that address, quickly look at the numbers and go, well, I might be interested in that. Yeah, why don't you send me the pictures and video before I take a drive over there? As you get more advanced, you're going to put an email campaign together. You're going to blast that out to every investor that you know, which will help you in getting the maximum uh, offer that you want to sell that property. From there, you're going to go through the process of negotiating once again, but now you're going to negotiate with the chads, with the buyers who are looking to buy that property because they're looking for a good deal too. And I'm going to tell you real quick, the ones that are curious about how much you're making, you're not going to work with. If you've brought them a good deal, they need to sign. They don't need to be worried about what you're making. They need to say, hey, you offered this at a great price. I know I can make money on this as a flip or as a buy and hold. I'm more than happy to do that deal with you. So you're going to negotiate with the investor and buyer. Then you're going to send them an assignment agreement. This is separate from the purchase and sale agreement. This is now an agreement between you and the end buyer. So imagine the seller being A, the wholesaler being B, and the end buyer being C. This is now an assignment agreement between B and C, saying I'm going to step in line and take your contract that you signed with the seller, and I'm gonna buy that property with the agreed terms that you set, right? Once that assignment agreement is signed, you're gonna now send that over to title, and now you're the go-between, right? You're gonna now become a transactional coordinator. Anytime the title company needs something from the seller, they might be able to reach out because you're gonna give them the contact information of the buyer, you're gonna give them the contact information of the end seller, but many times they can't get in touch with that person. Therefore, they're gonna say, hey, Chris, can you reach out to such and such seller? We're having a hard time, we need this. We're missing this document. Something's come up on title. Can you figure out where this other owner is? They need to sign this as well, right? Or, hey, the buyer, Chad, hasn't been answering his phone. Can you call him? We need some information for him. Um, we need his bank account number so that he's gonna be able to wire over the money on the day of closing. From that point, you're just making sure everybody's happy. You're again, serving everyone well, ready to close. Once the property closes, the title's either gonna wire you an assignment fee, they're gonna uh, print out a check, you're gonna stop by and get it, or they're gonna mail it to you. Have you uh, thought of anything you'd like to have for Christmas, darling? All right. Um, so I'm like, gonna stop there, Chad. Chris, you're your host. If you can, because they said uh, like a gift. Monica, yeah. Mute herself. Because um, they said you're gonna do 
Can you mute yourself, please? Yes, because I'm Please mute yourself. Monica. That is not me. <laughs> I know. Monica. I'm getting there. Okay, got it. All right. Monica. All right. There you go. Got it, chum. No worries. Okay. Awesome right. info, Chris. That was uh that was super good. There were there were even some things you said that I was like, oh yeah, that kind of clarifies a little bit how some deals have have worked out where I'm the purchaser with a wholesaler. So I appreciate all that information. We got um, a couple of questions that came in on the chat and I'll forward those. I see them. Okay, so one was, um, is it right that wholesaling properties in Ohio is illegal? Um, they say you can't transfer until you own it. You wanna explain that, the answer for that? Well, first, I would say I don't live in Ohio and I don't do transactions in Ohio, so I don't know if it is illegal. I do know in Chicago they've had legislation. I do know in Oklahoma City, and there's actually now a new state. Um, I, I, again, always consult legal before you do anything in regards to hearing this type of things. I don't know, Chad, that wholesaling to be illegal in Ohio. No, yeah, there's... Oh, go ahead, Sean. You want to jump in? It is not illegal in Ohio. Jeff Watson recorded a 15-minute segment with the superintendent of Ohio Real Estate Division, and they laid out the rules. Only thing that you cannot do, if you don't own the property, you cannot sell the property. All you're doing is selling a contract, transferring the contract. One rule they said very clearly, that if you don't own the property, if you market the property with pictures, you can't do that. You can give the address, but not put the videos and the pictures of the property if you're not the owner. That's right. the only clarification. Right. And, and I would say this, it, it, um, Chad and I have addressed this a lot in our mastermind as well. First of all, you're never gonna stop people from doing real estate transactions. And so if you have yes. a entrepreneurial spirit, you will find a way. So I, yeah. I have a friend who's a pastor on a church that I go to here, and they're looking to sell a 12-unit apartment um, in Illinois uh, on the border, not too close from uh, St. Louis. So people would say, Chris, how are you going to do that? That's illegal to wholesale in Illinois. There's always a way. I can uh, get transactional funding, meaning I can get somebody to give me the money to buy the property. Uh, and what this is called, one term is double close. So sellers A, I'm B, I'm going to buy it with this money that a company is willing to give me to close on that property. And then 15 minutes later, the title company is between me and the end buyer is going to buy that property with their cash. Once that transaction is done, title uh, is going to wire that transactional funding company the money back that I borrowed for that 15 minutes, and I have to pay them whatever I've negotiated for that 15 minutes to buy that property. And, and there are several other ways. I don't want to convolute this and make it more difficult. I think my greater point is this. There's always a way to do a transaction if you have a motivated seller. 
because I would never want to break the law. I would never want to do anything unethical. So I'm always looking for other ways to close on properties if I cannot assign a property. In Arizona, we don't even have to put the word assign because normally on the, on the buyer, you would have a blank where I would put one of my LLCs and then right after it would be and or assigns, which means I can assign this property. In the state of Arizona, I don't have to put that. Yep. Sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, really the key to her question is uh, how you talked about you're, you're actually flipping paper. You're not reselling the house when you don't have ownership. You are um, selling that contract that you have with the seller. So awesome. On the question of recommending uh, uh, purchase and sale agreements, I, you know, ultimately find whichever one you want and do it, go one of two ways. Send it to a title company and say, is this legal? Would your legal team sign off on doing a transaction with this paperwork? My, my purchase and sale agreement is one page long unless I have to get creative with the seller. And then I just put the word addendum and start typing out all the terms that we've agreed upon. Because remember, once it's all signed, you're gonna send that over to title and they're gonna tell you, hey, you can't do that. Or, hey, you can do that. Or, hey, you need to change this word. Or, hey, you know what? We can't have this, right? Because they wanna be ethical. They've got people watching them too. So, so once it's negotiated and everything's written down, you're going to send it over to title. If you've done anything wrong, they're going to be quick to say, you need to change this phrase, you need to change this word, or what did you mean by this? This needs to be spelled out more quickly. What I learned in real estate quickly was um, anything's possible. Just find a way and make sure someone legal is always looking over your work. But there are tons of purchase and sell agreements out there that can be used for wholesaling. You can use... And you guys correct me if I'm wrong in Ohio, but in Arizona, I can use my wife's MLS contract that she uses here in Arizona, and I can still use that to assign a property. So sometimes I'll have a seller that just, they only want to use the state contract that's used. That's fine. I just have to change a few things and I have to write a few things in, make sure I can do what I want to do. But if they feel more comfortable using that agreement, it doesn't happen very often. I'll use it. Sure. Uh, I want to answer this question. Once you learn that a seller is an unmotivated seller, how do you politely dismiss yourself from the conversation and move on? <laughs> um, that's exactly what I do. I say, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, it has been great talking to you. It doesn't sound like this is probably a property that's going to work for us based on what you're looking to do. Uh, my recommendation might be, you know, seek a real estate agent and, and stick it on the MLS and try to get as much as you possibly can. Um, but it doesn't look like it's going to work out for us. But if things change and you need to sell, uh, don't hesitate to give us a call. We'd love to work with you, but we understand not everybody is going to work with us. And then I move on. Dave or Sean, did you want to jump in there or have any clarifying questions there? Sean, you had a comment, I know. I got a comment. Um, now, in any market, seek out the title companies that are used to closing uh, wholesale deals. There are very few select title companies that feel comfortable doing it. If you want some information in Dayton, call me and I'll let you know which title companies do it. 
I'm sure Chad will do it too. And we use the same company, I think. <laughs> and that's true. Uh, in every state, I have certain title companies. I mean, the investor-friendly title companies are going to be the ones. There's actually some some nationwide title companies that will work with you if you uh, uh, want that. But yeah, I, I that's the first thing. When I go into a virtual market, I go to talk to certain buyers. I get on Facebook pages and I just ask, what title company are you using for your burrs? What title company are you using for buying holds? What title companies are you using for your assignments? And then I'll actually call two or three of those because I want someone that's going to work well with my personality. Um, but I'll give you the perfect example. I got a Google ads lead in La Mesa, Texas, and I'm from Texas and I didn't know where that town was. But we got the deal under contract and found out in that little county between Odessa and uh, uh, Amarillo, I think it was, there was only one title company. And I had a real estate agent go out and take the pictures of the property. And I said, hey, I called these guys and they didn't really want to talk to me. And he said, they're not nice. They know they're the only two ladies in the county and you have to deal with them. So I went to my nationwide title company and did the deal there. So she worked with the local title company on searching titles. So I didn't have to deal with this very difficult title company. And then we got the transaction uh, done. And then I see a question here. So it's just to make sure I understand when you present the deal to the buyer, do you include your fee as a part of the purchase or make it separate and tell the buyer how much you're charging? So, so, uh, um, I get a house under contract. I'm working on a house in Fort Worth. They want 115000 The seller does for the current condition. It's a really rough house. So we're under contract to buy it for one We're going to either take that property down, but let's say we chose to assign it. We know that we can assign that property for $25,000. So when I send the assignment agreement to my buyer, the initial agreement they're going to see is Total purchase price, including assignment, is $140,000. Now, remember, once they sign that, they're going to want to see the original agreement that you signed, and you shouldn't withhold that from them. You need to send that to them because they're now stepping in place of where you're at. They're going to see it either way. They're going to call the title company and give it to you, but I don't send it to them until they've signed the assignment agreement because there are investors that will take advantage or try to go around you and get that deal. Uh, another thing that we yep. do is we actually, when we're under contract, take that to the courthouse and file it so that if a buyer tries to go around us and buy it from the seller, it'll pop up on title. You can't do that. You're under contract with these guys to buy this property. And I've actually made money on that where the seller calls me and the buyer calls me and says, Hey, we wanted to buy this property. We tried, you know, we basically tried to go around you and you, you were smart. So what would it take for you to step out of the way? And we give them our fee. And if they're willing to pay that, we'll step out of the way. Yeah. I see another one here. It says, how can you know if you find a good deal on it, especially if it's your first time buying a house? So is it okay if I answer this, Chad? Yeah, go for it. I don't know what your timing is, so I don't want to hurt anybody. No, it's open-ended. If somebody wants to uh, jump in and ask a follow-up question to one of your answers, go ahead or raise your hand. Otherwise, so, you can... This question has two answers. <laughs> How do you know if you find a good deal? Well, there's one way. You do your due diligence. 
Now, let's say you're going into a city that you have no MLS connection, no real estate connections. I can go on Zillow. I can go on Redfin. I'll go on Zillow usually because it's going to be the fastest. And I can find sold properties. And I can show you this later some other time. I can find sold properties, same square footage, same bedrooms, same bathrooms that have sold in the last six months. If I can find those within the same square, I don't want to go over a major street. Okay. I want to stay within that neighborhood. Okay. Within a mile. If I can find three of those, hey, I know. Hey, you know what? Those are selling for $100,000. Right. So I know that if I want to make $5,000 on this $100,000 house, right? That I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, they used to be 70% of the ARV. And so you would say, well, that's 70,000 out of 100. Well, in Arizona now, that's like 82, 83%, not 70%, because the market's so high. So you only have to come up to 82% of value. Then you're going to take away your repairs. So let's say it's a $100,000 house, brand new rehab. I'm going to start at 70, but I'm going to go into each city talking to investors, finding out what they're happy with, right? But let's say it's 70,000 and let's say it needs $15,000 for the repair. So now I'm at 55 and I'd like to make 5,000 on the deal. So that means I would really like to get that property for $50,000. But after talking to investors, that's why I said there's a second answer. If Chad says, man, if I'm all in at 80,000, I'm happy, then I can work the math back from that. Hey, if Chad's all in at 80, including repairs, I know where I need to be. And I want to tell you, uh, new rookies, I've made as little as 500 bucks on a deal. So don't, don't be greedy, right? Take what the market tells you can make on a deal because you're looking for volume. You're not looking for one deal. You're greedy. Everybody figures out through your marketing that you're greedy. And guess what? They don't want to work with you anymore. So take what the market says on that property and move on to the next one. Yeah, I think that's huge. Like what Susan was talking about, your reputation uh, really is everything if you want to be lasting in that same market. Um, so you really need to be able to add value to that buyer, not worry about hitting a home run on that first deal but add, add value to that buyer and you'll, you'll get many more deals. Um, somebody else had a similar question, like how do you figure your assignment fee? Um, how much do you charge? Uh, you know, it, it, the basic math is always what I just said. You're going to take ARV times 70% less repairs, and then you're going to figure out what your assignment is on that deal. Okay, so if it's a $100,000 house, like I said, and it needs $15,000 of work, I'm starting at 70. Now, again, let's say I'm in Arizona. I'm starting at 82,000 minus 15, so I'm at 67. I'd like to make five because I think five is fair on a $100,000 deal. So now I'm at 62,000. So I need to get this property under contract for $62,000 so that I can offer it to Chad at 67,000 because I know it's generally going to be about $15,000 for work, and he needs to be at a certain number. And most investors uh, that are buy and hold want to be, and I know this can always be five more or five less, but most want to be all in at 75%, um, including repairs, so that if the market corrects or something happens, they still have equity in the property. They don't want to start upside down. 
Um, right. So 25% equity going in means if something changes and overnight a law changes or the market corrects and we lose 10% equity in our home, look, they still got 15%. They're still good. So it would be, so would, I guess a good way to summarize that be that the market determines what you can sell the contract for and your assignment fee becomes the motivation of the seller and what you negotiate on that initial contract with the seller. Is sure. that? And, and I've already done my math. Why? Now I'll tell you this. I don't do any math. I don't do any homework on the property. When I find a motivated seller comes forward and they say, Hey, I'd like to sell my house at one, two, three main street. Here's what I don't do with most rookies or, or just bad investors do. They get on and they look at their, oh, this looks like a nice property. Oh, they bought it 20 years ago. I bet there's some spread in there. I bet I can make some money. And then you call them and they say, yeah, I'm not interested. So you're <laughs> wasting 30, 45 minutes on, oh, what happens if I get this deal? And they weren't even motivated or they don't even like you or it's just, you're bad at negotiating. So what I do is I get on the phone, I chat up the seller, hear about their situation, I create a friendship, and then we begin to talk about the property. And when I get to the property part, I start at the roof, I go to the foundation or in certain splits, you know, the basement. And through that process, while I'm on the phone, you begin to get very comfortable about doing your math while you're on the phone. And I know it seems crazy that you would have a calculator or, or looking at something. Sometimes I hit mute so that I don't accidentally interrupt the seller because they get excited about something. Like if I call them and it's a $200,000 house and they say, hey man, you can give me $80,000, I'll do the deal. I hit mute because I don't want to go, yeah, 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 I'll take it. I want them to keep talking because I might be able to get it cheaper. You know, my take is in wholesale, or really, let me, let me back up. Any kind of negotiations on a property, I look at it from a garage sale perspective, right? I go into a garage sale and I see a hat, they want a buck, I offer a quarter, right? Because you know, I mean, they can always say no. And then through the negotiations, we get to a point where they're happy and I'm happy. Remember, I want the seller to be happy because if the transaction goes well, I want them to promote me. Hey, Chris said he would buy my property. He said he would make it convenient. He said it would make you timely, you know, make it really easy on time. And he did that. If you're ever considering selling your property, reach out to Chris. He, he, he served me well. So we ask people for videos or video testimonies or, or text or whatever. And we put that out there on our website because we want people to know, hey, we're, we're in this to do it right. Yeah. Cancel a purchase and sell agreement. Um, I call the seller and I say, hey, you know what? Uh, on our agreement, we'll put 10 days of due diligence. Because remember, we're a lot of times doing it virtually and I want to walk the property. Uh, unfortunately, uh, people don't tell you the truth. Generally, when you call somebody on a property and they say, oh, it needs a little bit of work. And you say, how much? Oh, five, 10,000. That usually means it needs 20. <laughs> so I'll walk the property or I'll have my person in that state walk the property and first say, hey, remember how you said it was 5,000? Well, you know, we walked the property and it actually needs, you know, $18,900 worth of work. So again, I'm going to renegotiate. But let's say they're not interested and we got to stop. I just say, hey, you know what? We're not going to be your buyer, right? We signed a contract and then we found out some, you know, some things that you didn't, you weren't honest about. So we're going to stop. 
usually that's it for me. I'll notify the title company that we're going to stop. Um, a lot of people like to write a terminate contract and, and email it back to the seller. Um, you could do that if you like to really go the extra mile and make sure it's completely canceled. I just want title to know that we're done, right? Give me my earnest money back or just keep it there on file until the next deal. That's how we handle it. Others might have other suggestions. Sure. You always give earnest money when you get it under contract? I never offer unless they ask. <laughs> the savvy ones are going to ask me and we'll give them earnest money. And if they don't, they don't. So um, it, it really, I just want to cater to the seller. Whatever makes them feel most comfortable that I'm going to say, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. That's what I'll do. Sure. Yeah. All right, man, this is good stuff. Um, are there any other questions anybody has? I think we've gone through. You can ask it live. Yeah, you can unmute and ask it. Can we, uh, um, Susan's asking, yeah. Um, I am sure, Susan, that most anybody here um, would be looking for deals or would be interested interested in acquisitions. That's the nature of this market. So um, if you have deals, um, there's ways to, to post them or um, you can reach out to me. I think that was your question. Um, anybody else have a question or uh, something you want to ask, something you want clarification on? Um, yes. So like I want to get started, but my time is very limited. I'm the one that said I was, I was in nursing school. So I just, I don't, not to say I'm very like, oh, I have to make my first uh, sale by that. I don't have a deadline or anything and I have time and I'm willing to spend the time I need to do it. But if it's going to be too time consuming, I can't have that be like a thing. So I just want to know what is the most um, efficient way to get motivated sellers per se. I know you listed um, like the cold calling or telling everyone about it and so on. But it's like, is there a way to, um, that's what I'm trying to say. You get what I'm trying to say? I'm not sure. No, I understand. So let's say if I was coaching you, I would say, uh, Relindus, how much time do you think you have uh, during the week to give towards this real estate part of your life? Um, I'm, I'm willing to give like 10 hours of my week. 10 hours. Okay. Yeah. So and let's say it's just Monday through Friday because you'd like to mm -hmm. have some weekend or, or whatever to, to, uh, reacclimate and, and renew before you go back into nursing school, I'd say, well, I mean, that works out to about two hours a day. So you've got some options there. You can pull a list. And what I mean by that is let's, let's take the, the, the lowest hanging fruit. You can do an absentee vacant list, meaning that the house is vacant and the owner doesn't live in it. So it's an absentee owner, right? They own it, but they don't live in it. That a lot of times means a tired landlord usually, or they've moved. Regardless, they own a property, it's sitting empty, they're paying taxes on it, and they don't live in it. So you could pull that list, uh, and you could go to uh, uh, a million different places. I'm a, what do you call it, an affiliate with Batch and Skip Force, but you could go to Batch, Skip Tracing, 
Uh, you could go to batch lead actually, and you could pull a list and you could say uh, Dayton, or you could say a certain part of Dayton, or you could say a zip code or, and what you want to do, Berlindis is, is find out where buyers are buying. So like Chad, Chad, where do you like to buy in Dayton? And, and he's, Hey, can you give me areas or can you give me zip codes? And you're going to write those down and you're going to go pull the list on batch or, or, uh, any place you want to go and pull a list and say, hey, I want all the vacant properties in this uh, zip code. And they're going to give you, you're going to download that file. Then you're going to upload it to batch skip tracing or skipforce.com. And they're going to skip trace and they're going to get every email and phone number. Let's say 500 people, 500 addresses came up in that zip code. And you're going to send that and they're going to skip trace that. And you're going to pay anywhere from seven cents to 15 cents. Shouldn't pay more than that. If you are leave that company for, for addresses, they're going to send that back to you within 24 hours. Let's say out of the 500, you got 386. So relentless now each day, you're going to dedicate those two hours to calling that 386 people. And you're going to call for two hours. And then when you're done, you're done. I'm so sorry. I miss all of that. Like my <laughs> Wi-Fi went out on my computer. <laughs> it went out and I'm on my, on my, on my phone now. That's okay. Can you please say that again? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I would say if you have 10 hours, you've got two hours a day, you're going to pull a list. Let's say you pulled 500 vacant houses in a certain zip code. You're going to skip trace those. And it's never usually going to come back 500. It's going to come back and say, hey, we found... 386 out of the 500. So what you're going to do is each day, you're going to time block those two hours and you're just going to pick up that phone. You have no idea what's going to happen, but you're going to pump yourself up and you're going to say, hey, I'm going to do this. And you're just going to start dialing, right? And you're going to get, you know, get out of here and cuss word and don't ever call me again. But guess what? You only need one. You only need one to say, yeah, I'd like to sell. You're going to get in a conversation with them, see why it is they want to sell, right? But for two hours each day, you're going to do that. And if you get something under contract, you're going to work with that seller to get it under contract and assign it. Now, that's one way if I was coaching you. But you could also do text. You could text the 386. And Batch has a text tool that you can send as many texts you want. And, and you can text out. And it sends a different text every single time. So if you text 20 people, you're going to type in 20 different texts, and then the computer takes over. And if you just hit return 20 times, it'll text all 20 people with 20 different phone numbers, with 20 different similar texts, but different, saying the same thing, right? You could do that. Let's say you had money, and you said, hey, I've got money to put towards this. You could do Google Ads. And you could take a boot camp like we did and learn how to do pay-per-click. And it's $50 a day. In that case, the, the email is coming to you of somebody that has uh, answered your ad and wanting to sell a property. And that's a little more conversation. But I would say right now to learn how to negotiate, to get comfortable with talking with people, right? Because it's crazy that you're calling somebody and you're saying, I want to buy your house, but you know you don't really have any money to buy their house. <laughs> so you got to get comfortable with that first. And so I would say, pull a list, skip trace it every day, get on the phone. And I'm telling you, the key to this is just being consistent. You don't have to do it eight hours a day. 
Just commit to the two hours a day wholeheartedly dialing. As soon as someone hangs up, dial the next number. Don't talk yourself out of it or go for a walk or watch a show. Two hours, I'm going to make phone calls. And what happens is you get real comfortable being rejected because it's the process of getting comfortable. I mean, get uh, of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. When you can get comfortable being uncomfortable, man, you can do anything. I learned that when I started cro crossfitting. That was the first thing you said, Chris, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Okay. Um, do you recommend like a prime time, like what hours of the day should I be making these calls? The two hours you have. I, I don't call anybody before 8.30 and I don't call anybody after 8.30. And for the text, so is there like a um, like a generator? What generator do I use to send the text? Uh, you could. There's a million out there. I mean, I use Batch, um, but I used uh, I used a lot of them in the past. Um, the only reason I like people like Batches, they're trying to make sure they do it the right way because all the phone services only want certain ways, so you got to follow certain rules, you know. And in the process of skip tracing. You want to make sure your lists are being scrubbed. Scrubbed meaning that if anybody has signed up for the do not call, right, I don't want to be calling those people, right? So you want to make sure you're, when every time you do a list, pull a list, skip trace it, make sure that company that skip traced your list, and they'll use, most of them will do it, but they're scrubbing the list. But let's say one gets through. It happens to us all the time. You want to make sure that you and whatever your follow-up system is, hey, I don't want to call that person back. Okay. Thank you so much. The question here, um, what's the best advice you could give someone? And they said, is it possible to do real estate if I'm unemployed? Absolutely. Be a people person. Be a people person. Talk to people. Hey, I'm looking for properties. I'm looking for properties. I'm looking for distressed properties. I'm looking for properties. So I don't, I don't want to offend a seller right when I get on the phone. So generally I'll say, I'm looking for properties that need a little bit of love. So what I just said is, hey, you've got a piece of junk. Can I buy it? So which way would you rather hear it? You'd rather hear, hey, I'm looking for a property that needs a little bit of love. Right? So you're trying not to be offensive. Good. Yeah, and I, I mean, that last question, I would encourage you that really the point of this group is that financing should not be a limitation for you, no matter what you want to do in real estate. If you want to wholesale, you can do that without any money. If you want to be a flipper, you can do that without any money. If you want to be a buy and hold guy, you can do that without any money. If you want to buy apartment complexes, you can do that without any money. And we've had speakers, I think, on all of those topics um, in this group. Cassidy Hellrigal taught how to buy apartment buildings without using any money. Um, my story, you know, I got started unemployed without any money. So <clears throat> as a buy and hold guy, so don't let that mental limitation hold you back. If you know what you want, you can do it. Sham, what do you want to say? <clears throat> I just want to add, you can do that without your money. It doesn't say your money, somebody else's money. Right. Yes. You got to get access to somebody else's money. With oh, somebody yeah. else's money. But the reason that's so uh, possible to do is because there are a lot of people who want to get into real estate 
they don't know how and they have money and they're very right. happy to fill that role. And so, yep. yep, we are serving them by allowing them to invest in our deals, which is huge. So um, given the, the time frame we're on, I wanted to wrap it up unless there was one final question. Um, yes, I do. Yeah, I saw you hop on. Go for it, Tracy. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I've been driving a um, a couple areas that um, I apparently it's a really hot market. Um, I've used PropStream and it's investor central. And so I've been kind of driving for dollars and I have um, like a huge list of properties and I took pictures with it, um, you know, like boarded up windows or just really bad shape. Um, I was wondering what's the best way um, to get their contact information. I mean, I, I've got at least a hundred houses. Um, I spent two hours each time. And um, I mean, do I research, I'm sorry, baby. Do I research each property, um, you know, to find out, you know, if it is a pre-foreclosure or what's going on, you know, or if it's sitting there with an investor, you know, before I just start or pay to even skip trace it, if it is with an investor, you know, that way I'm not wasting time and money on that. Like, what is the best way? So, you know, if I've got a hundred addresses, you know, I'm going to well, have to literally type in each and every address into um, a skip tracing, or even do I search in PropStream each address to find out owner information and, and so forth? Well, so you're driving... Are you using the Deal Machine app, or what app are you using when you're driving? I'm not using an app. I just okay. um, know a couple areas that um, it's just it, investors are going nuts. I went to look at a property, and um, I went in the morning just because I, I saw that it hit the market. It was a house that I'd been looking at for several months, and of course, last week, um, it went on market. And it's um, definitely a fixer upper, like definitely. But the house is worth three times what they're asking. So, well, first, I mean, I don't know. This is one thing. I would get an app like Deal Machine is what we use. And that okay. is a driving for dollars app. There's actually okay. an app called Driving for Dollars. But Deal Machine to me works really well. It's going to track your driving. It's going to even track your time but you get to pick all the properties. So let's say you pick those hundred and then I can click download and it'll automatically download those quickly for me so that I can upload them to my skip tracing service because like the property that you've been looking at for several months, you wanted to call them several months ago. Yeah. So you just got a skip trace. So there's a way to single skip trace, right? Sometimes <laughs> I'll just find one property and I'll, I'll single skip. I've single skip traced before. So if you use an app, you're, it'll automatically uh, download it to a CVS file so that you can quickly upload that because it would take you no time at all to call 100 houses. Okay, so you're, it's deal machine. You, yeah, because you don't know, you don't, we don't know what's going on in these neighborhoods, in these homes. Right. So we've got to call them, we've got to text them, we've got to figure out a way to get in front of them to see if they'd be interested in taking an offer. Right. Okay. What do I do at this point, though? I have 100 addresses, at well, least. 
I mean, the, the easiest thing is is stick them in a uh, uh, type them into an Excel file, or or, or uh, if you got a kid, you know, pay them ten bucks, twenty bucks to type them in for you, so you can quickly upload it to a skip tracing service and get those right. numbers. Okay. All right. Appreciate it. Great question. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that will wrap it up for the evening. Um, Chris, thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate all the information you shared. Um, I know just from the questions, everybody's got a lot of stuff rolling through their head about what the next step is. And uh, so I really appreciate you coming on and, and doing that. So thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Oh, thanks. I, I love Chad knows. Like, I, I love this. Thank more you, than guys. Appreciate yeah, it. I love this more than doing the actual transactions uh, because I love encouraging people. You're just one deal away from changing your life forever. Yeah, man. That's Very a good to end on. So. Yep. Um, remember that this, this group meets the third Monday of every month. So third Monday in November, we'll be meeting at the same time and, uh, would love to see y'all back again next month. All right. Thanks. Good seeing everybody. Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.